Hello and welcome to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. I'm your host, Roman Tegal, and in today's episode, I'll be talking about the pharmaceutical and biotech supply chain with me, actually. Lucky you. So before I start, I just wanted to say Happy New Year. I wish you health and happiness for the year ahead, and hopefully we'll all have a better year than, than 2020 was in, in many respects. As a listener of the podcast, you would have probably had some really interesting insights and learnings from our guests over the last six months or so. Personally, I've been able to speak to some really fantastic people. I've done over 50 interviews, not all of which are live yet. And that's been an incredible privilege from from my perspective. And what I did at the back end of 2020 in preparation uh, for this particular special episode was compile the kind of common themes and uh, you know and things that I heard our guests say about the sector and what the, the future is gonna gonna look like. So I've kind of curated and collated those key trends into kind of ten things that I think will happen in the year ahead and beyond. So before I kind of go into the details and share those ten trends with you, I just had one small favor to ask. I suppose in the spirit of hopefully a New Year's resolution, maybe to be more kind and generous. It would be really great if you could, whatever app you use to listen to our podcast, go on there and give us a kind rating. Five stars would be very kind. Uh, And at the same time, it would be great if you could share uh, the podcast and or this episode with one of your colleagues or your team or the wider organization as we're trying to get the podcast into the ears of, of, of more people in the sector. Uh, certainly in the absence of events in 2020, uh, we hear the podcast has been really, really well received and it's given people their fix of uh, industry insight and information that, that they need during this time. All right, so I'm going to go into the 10 trends. And before I do, a little disclaimer that none of this is based on a specific data set hopefully breaking any kind of confidence with anyone. This is purely anecdotal based on the uh, interviews that I've carried out during 2020 and the various conversations that I've had uh, with with people across the year as well. Okay, so trend number one, the outsourcing market will continue to grow. This is good news for all of you, I suspect. Every data set that I've seen Every piece of information that I've seen regarding the growth of the sector tells me that demand is going to be up in the outsourcing sector. Funding is going to be higher than ever. We're actually going to have people scrambling to get capacity. I expect to see you know, more capital expenditure, facility purchases, carve-outs in 2021 and, and beyond as uh, you know, the sector continues kind of to mature. Very closely aligned to that, I think everything points towards more M&A and greater consolidation in the sector. It remains a very, very fragmented sector kind of globally, and I expect to see more of of that type of activity uh, in the year ahead. I also think we will see kind of really increased demand for things like sterile drug products uh, as well, and especially in areas where uh, the supply constraint due to COVID vaccines kind of filling up uh, the line. So good one to start off with a really positive trend that i expect to see is just continued growth next one on my list to share with you uh, number two is you know the drug development kind of benchmark has been set very high i think the covid response um, has forced uh, a real 
recognize slow to change industry that we work in to break down barriers and pivot in a way that we would never have predicted before. As a result of that, we've seen kind of a new paradigm really in terms of drug development and manufacturing. I mean, the speed at which the COVID vaccines have come to market has been absolutely astonishing. I mean, some of the most experienced professionals that have been in the industry for 30, 40 years plus have been astounded by by what we've seen. Now, I think the impact of that is going to be really interesting on the outsourcing space. I think the funders in this sector will want to see more of that type of uh, rapid development in, in time to market. They will use the speed at which these vaccines have been brought to market as the benchmark to say, hey, if that's happening over there, why can't it happen here? So I expect certainly for um, contract service providers, manufacturers, research companies, packaging companies, uh, CROs, uh, you know, greater expectation from clients uh, and sponsors in terms of uh, speed to market. I think the biggest challenge with that actually won't necessarily be uh, the sector's ability to respond, but it will be the challenge with the regulators. So how quick can the regulators, who've done a terrific job on the whole with with uh, the COVID vaccines, but how can they be able to, you know, how can they be able to deal with and challenge uh, that or, or deal with that particular challenge, which I think is going to be a very difficult thing for them to to kind of get around. Trend number three is, I suppose, less <laughs> less positive uh, for many of you. I expect to see more competition in the sector. I think there's been some really interesting developments in 2020. We saw with huge uh, government contracts in the US, the likes of Kodak and Flow, who were relatively unknown names in the sector, become you know pick up big big contracts for uh, for various things. And I think. We will see more of that type of uh, activity in 2021 and beyond. I was on a roundtable at the back end of last year, and, and someone referred to uh, the drug development and life science space as you know, hot and the most investable sector right now. And in one sense, that's good because it will probably bring more funding into this sector. But on the other hand, it will potentially bring more competition. I think the barriers to entry remain high, but I think if you've got enough cash, you can get, whether it's facilities or talent, to be able to get up to scratch very, very quickly. I think what that means for many of you is, you know, certainly in the uh, on the vendor side is, you know, really thinking about what your value add is and making sure that you're building uh, a real specialism in what you do and, you know, obviously a, a loyal customer base and, and strong reputation that goes with that too. The next trend that uh, on number four that I expect to see is greater adoption of, of new technologies. It's funny because about uh, just over 12 months ago, I did a, a talk in Madrid to around 200 pharmaceutical professionals. And one of the predictions I made for the future of the sector was I expected to see a greater sh- shift towards digitization. And what's quite interesting is there was a lot of kind of groans and uh, kind of uh, eyebrows raised, which is, hey, we've, we've heard this before. I think what's been really interesting, um, what COVID has done as ex- is, is accelerate things that might have happened anyway in the pharma and biotech space across you know, analytical and uh, packaging and manufacturing and research and, and I suppose every element of the supply chain. Uh, and even CROs have certainly have to pivot uh, you know, and, and adopt more to things like devices and wearables and virtual monitoring and, and things like that. So 
whatever way we look at it, the sector has had to uh, take advantage of the technology that's out there and embrace it and kind of overcome some of that inertia in the ways that we've already done things. So I think that will be something that I expect to see both at a very you know, practical level in terms of the way people work, uh, but also just things like document sharing and, you know, how do we cut down lead times? How do we get things quicker to market? You know, I think uh, you know, more um, digital platforms will probably help accelerate a lot of that. Okay, number five. I expect positive reputation and a real wave of positive reputation for pharma and biotech. You know, I've I've been fortunate to work with the media in this space uh, since 2004. And, and one thing I can tell you is, you know, pre-COVID, you know, getting any uh, press coverage for clients in the mainstream media was virtually impossible with the exception of, you know, creating jobs on a, on a low, local scale. And I think what's really interesting about where we're at today and as a result of COVID, as, as a spotlight has been uh, placed not only on the pharma and biotech sector at large, but actually the, uh, the supply chain where the majority of us kind of operate. And as someone that you know adores this space, and I've spent the majority of my career in this space, I think we need to take you know certainly full advantage of of this opportunity. Really promote and celebrate uh, the unbelievable value of the work that's done in the supply chain and supporting uh, the development and manufacturing, you know, ultimately the distribution and getting drugs to patient on time. You know, and at the start of the pandemic. I remember hearing a podcast about um, the need to have a positive COVID mindset, how we have to look back and, and look at how we used COVID to, with a sense of preciousness and, and actually taking advantages of what, what became available rather than just the, the kind of the doom and gloom. So as far as I'm concerned with, with regards to reputation, I think contract services has a really good you know opportunity now to come out and actually show the value that it adds. And I think as part of that, it helps make, uh, you know, bring bring more interest and eyeballs on the sector from a career perspective. Uh, hiring and recruitment remains a huge issue in the sector. So it's a really, really good way of, I suppose, making science cool again in some economies and, and obviously getting more people into the sector. Trend number six is around uh, diversity becoming a major focus from bench to boardroom. I think, you know, diversity and equality were major themes in, in 2020 at a, at a very macro level. But in the interviews that I conducted on Molecule to Market, I it was really interesting that we heard time and time again the, the word uh, diversity or the word in having diverse teams. And I kept also hearing this idea of diverse teams create better outcomes uh, for business. And, and given the kind of higher expectations from clients that I've covered and the likely in competition that we're expecting to see or that I expect to see in the sector, I think it's a really, really good time to really consider uh, the diversity both at a team level, but at a business level as well, you know, not just um, you know, at an operational departmental level, but also at a senior leadership level to make sure there is diversity across all the different layers of the business. And I think diversity also, you know, runs a little bit further than that in terms of thinking about diversity in the clinical trial space as well, from a patient perspective and making sure, uh, you know, different ethnic groups have access to medication as well. So I think diversity as a general theme will become um, a really, really kind of, or continue to become a, a bigger issue 
for for the sector. I mean, even interesting enough in in, in my own business, uh, you know, you know, we're having conversations of you know, are we diverse enough, and how do we go about changing that and, and you know making that better? And I certainly encourage any, uh, I suppose, senior business owners and uh, leadership level people out there to have those types of conversations and challenge your own thinking in terms of not only addressing it, but actually, you know, setting the right example for, for the industry. Okay, trend number seven is about the short and long-term impact of COVID on the contract services space. I think at a short-term period, I think we've seen a, a couple of key things. One is we've seen delays in the clinical trial space, you know, promising pipelines and compounds being delayed because uh, you know a lot of the the vaccines and covid related therapeutics have, have, have taken up that kind of limited space and also obviously uh, delays and challenges in getting patients into clinical for, for the trials has also you know had an impact but on the flip side we've also seen many companies do uh, you know really good business in 2020 because covid has generated more opportunities in in, in various different Areas. So that's been an interesting kind of short term kind of uh, sight of, of what's going on. I think what's more interesting is the long term effect of, of COVID in terms of you know, how the sector will be better prepared for future pandemics. So how will the sector be able to uh, deal with pandemics and you know, deal with the deployment of demand and just be ready and prepare, prepared for kind of things that you know are unforeseen to one extent, but we've already seen what can happen with COVID. And that's going to have a, a real impact for a lot of vendors out there in terms of thinking about storage and logistics and you know equipment and capital expenditure and all that good stuff. Because I think one of the challenges for, for many contract service providers is being able to deal with a steady amount of demand, but then being able to, you know, in an agile way, quickly scale up to tech transfer in a new potential project. So I think that's a, a real opportunity for the sector moving forward to be able to flex and support the bio and pharmaceutical sector in terms of being becoming less transactional in a sense and becoming the kind of foundational bedrock of life sciences when it comes to actually getting drugs to market. So I do think the short term has had kind of negative and long term, but for a longer term, I think it would be a positive thing for the sector to kind of be able to support the life science space with, with better logistics and support moving forward. Okay, and moving on to trend eight, and this is around kind of more considered supply chains. I think one of the conversations that's probably been in every podcast interview I've done this year is how the supply chain has been able to cope with the impact of COVID. I mean, it's fair to say that COVID's really shook the pharmaceutical supply chain to its core, really. Uh, and it's led to kind of a real acute examination of its integrity you know, and resiliency to actually getting drugs to, to patients and a greater scrutiny over things like, you know, where drugs are made and where they go in the supply chain and the overall security and reliability of the supply chain. So as a consequence of that, I think certainly on the buyer side, I think we'll see a greater mindset shift and, a, and I suppose a more conscious mindset of where is my drug being manufactured. And as a result of that, I think we'll see more parallel manufacturing. I think we'll see 
you know, more localized manufacturing potentially as well, you know, and, and, and secondary and contingency. These aren't necessarily new things in the sector, but I think it'll be more around people and buyers being more conscious of it and just simply being more conscious of where to source and where to buy their, their products from. And so again, it's all going to be driven by, I suppose, mitigation of risk and helping clients get products to patients as quickly as possible. Okay, trend number nine is around the growth of Asia. I think what I've seen in the last few years is is Asia really growing as a, a value add market and not just you know a low cost commodity market. It's becoming a really major player on the international scene. And at the same time, I think what's really quite fascinating is the domestic demand that's being driven in those markets, particularly within China. We're already seeing some Western companies, you know, cloning facilities and, and, and looking to uh, you know, place them in, in Asia and in, in, in kind of these developing areas and these growth areas. And at the same time in China specifically, we're also seeing, um, you know, a pivoting of existing facilities to CDMO facilities as the market demand will continue to grow. China in particular has a really interesting position that it needs to address over the next few years. I mean, its reputation as a trusted supplier of affordable drug products and APIs has taken a bit of a beating in, in 2020. So I think it's fair to say that it will do everything it can to kind of reposition itself um, as you know reliable members of the global pharmaceutical you know, industry from a quality and, and security perspective as well. But again, I think the really you know exploding domestic demand that they have within China will uh, will certainly provide opportunities not just for Asian based businesses, but uh, you know contract services providers all over the world. And here we are on uh, trend number ten, our final one, which is around newer drug delivery platforms. I think you know. We will expect to see and we should expect to see continued kind of new types of drugs coming through the pipeline and and new patient friendly dosage forms as well. I think we're seeing more and more of that throughout the entire sector. And I think that's certainly a trend that's come up through many of the interviews uh, that, that we've done. I mean. Although there's lots of you know really exciting drug development, particularly in the cell gene therapy and mRNA area, which I suspect will be a huge growth area going forward. I still also believe that the one of the other key development pathways that is going to continue to grow is is the 505B2 uh, kind of area as well, where where drug developers are finding you know with a lot less investment in development, they can repurpose all drugs and you know get products to patients faster and and new indications and new dosage forms and all that type of thing as well. So I really think it's an exciting time from a, I suppose, a drug delivery platform, both from, a, I suppose, a, the types of products, but also the dosage forms and the indications as well. So I think that will add more diversity to the types of products that contract service providers can see coming through. So being able to uh, you know, have specialisms to deal with those products, just for example, could be a good place to, to position yourself as well. So that's it. So hopefully you found my 10 trends of value and use as you go into your strategic discussions and planning for for 2021 and ahead. Uh, Last thing for me to do is just to say thank you for for listening, not just to this episode, but for many of the episodes uh, that we've put out over the last year or so. It's been an absolute pleasure to be able to 
launch Molecule to Market. And I've been so pleased and proud of the, the feedback that you guys have been kind enough to give me. If you want to nominate a guest to come on the podcast, please send us a message or find me on LinkedIn and, and drop me a message and we can we can go from there. And as I said at the start, you know, please give us a kind rating, uh, share the podcast with your colleagues and your industry contacts, uh, you know, and give them that I suppose news that that's that's missing or that insight that's missing uh, from their lives at the minute in the meantime you know please stay safe and healthy and i'll hopefully speak to you very soon bye again thanks so much for tuning in to molecule to market we hope you enjoyed today's episode you can find more shows on spotify apple podcast or wherever you like to listen get in touch with us on our website moleculetomarketpod.com and follow us on linkedin or twitter and we will see you again next week Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing, an international content, digital, and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile, and generate leads in life sciences.